0: It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts, and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Judy Smock was raised by a woman that spent her life teaching people to sew using shortcuts and techniques that were designed by Judy's mother to speed up the job so that the workers can make money. These techniques were not taught in any books, and Judy loves passing the techniques on in her classes because these wonderful shortcuts leave a professional finish. Her love of people and fabric has led Judy into having a shop of her own, just Jude's creations. I love Judy's motto of a shop where quilters become long-lasting friends. Judy, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. You're welcome. Let's start with where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in Jacksonville, Illinois at Pazmut Hospital. I have a twin brother. And I lived in a small town called Patterson, Illinois, where I was raised and then eventually moved to Whitehall, Hall, where I went to school and graduated.
0: Can you share a special childhood memory?
1: Every summer, I got to go to Waverly, Illinois and spend two weeks with my Uncle Jake and my Aunt Mary Ellen. And it was a highlight of my life because I was raised on a farm and we had the responsibility, the children, of doing all the chores. And I was freed up from all of that. And it was quite a wonderful time.
0: So you were raised on the farm and did they live in town? Yes,
1: they did. They lived in Waverly, Illinois, just a very small town, I think 1,600 people. But it was a really, really grand time for me because I got to walk sidewalks, which we didn't have, you know, on the farm and do things that city people got to do. And it was really, really a wonderful time
0: for me. Oh neat. Now besides your quilt shop, did you have another career? I did. I
1: wanted to learn to knit. And a friend of mine owned a knit shop in Pekin and a couple neighbor ladies and I, we all decided we were going to go learn to hand knit. And Lo and behold, she had a knitting machine. I really like mechanical things. And I said, I would like to buy one of that. So the four of us decided to buy this machine and share it and make money. Well, it never works when you have three or four people trying to do one thing. So I was talking to my husband one night. The machine was at my house and I was doing all the work and getting the money and buying all the new yarn. And he said, you're so smart. He says, I can't figure out why you would let this happen. Why don't you just buy your own machine? So I got with the ladies and I told them that I was going to buy my own machine. And of course, they weren't very happy. But that's where my name of my business came from. Just Jude's Creations to remind myself that I am a one lady fan. Interesting.
0: Interesting.
1: And I started traveling with my knitting career, and I drew 500 patterns from other machine knitters and sold them all over the whole United States. I actually put two boys through college. They earned their own master's degree, but my money from knitting put them through college. So I waited tables during the week, and I traveled Friday through Sunday teaching my knitting techniques and selling my patterns.
0: Wow. And how far distance did you travel?
1: I went to Seattle, Washington, which was my last trip because the plane almost crashed. We got into severe wind shears and the plane turned upside down and all the overhead things opened and the seats became detached from the floor. And she had just served drinks. So we were covered with tomato juice and coffee and all this. The pilot came on and said that we were in severe trouble. And there was a pilot across the aisle from me that asked me if I knew the Lord. And I said, yes, I've been a Christian for years. And I know my life is in his hands. And I started praying that I would get to see my family again. And he held my hand and he said, we're in this together. And I said, I know. So we got to St. Louis and we all had to be checked by doctors to see if we were okay. They told us not to sign any papers, and we didn't. And then I got on what I call a pretend plane for Peoria. It was a (laughs) 12-seater, and I didn't like them. I'm very uncomfortable flying anyway. And when we got to the Peoria airport, the landing gear would not come down. So we made four passes in the air to bring the landing gear down, and all of a sudden I heard this sound, you know, and I knew that was the landing gear going down. And I decided from that day forward I would never fly. Wow. So it kind of ended my career as a knitter, but then I sold all my knitting equipment and bought embroidery equipment. I started traveling from Galesburg, Illinois, to Springfield, Illinois, to Jacksonville, Illinois, to Bloomington Normal, teaching techniques on how to machine embroidery. And after that, I became a quilter. I actually pieced my first quilt 25 years ago and just found it in a box. And boy, it was a beginner's quilt. You can tell. (laughs) I trimmed it too close to the edge and all my points were cut off. I didn't realize as a new quilter how important points were. But I have a long arm and I do long arm quilting and I'm going to quilt that thing and I'm going to love it and I'm actually going to give it to my youngest son for Christmas. How fun. It's the Underground Railroad is the pattern. And there is that's the hardest quilt in the world to make. Why did you start there? I said it was the only class that was being given, so I just jumped right in.
0: (laughs) That was real popular for a while. Is it still?
1: Yes, it really is still. It tells a story of people that were on the railroad and what the safe places to go when they needed help or food or clothing or what have you it is an all-American story, actually. And anybody that isn't interested in actually making the quilt should at least read the book. You know, they're taking our history away from us these days and everything is being torn down and tore up. And I think it's really an interesting thing to know exactly what the people on the railroad went through back in the day.
0: hmm You were born and raised in Illinois and you still are in Illinois, but you're not in the same part, are you?
1: I am not. I fell in love with a young man. I actually was 15 years old, that my mother wouldn't let me date. A girl handed me a yearbook and she said, pick somebody out. It was a Sadie Hawkins day. A girl asked the boy to a hay rack ride. So I picked this picture out and I said, I would like to ask him. And she said, oh, no, he's got 10 kids in his family. He's got a broken front tooth. Oh, she told me all kinds of horrible things about him. He doesn't have running water. And I said, well, neither do I. I said, I think he's got the kindest eyes I've ever seen. And I would like to ask him. And so I asked him. And right after I turned 17 and just before I finished my high school year, we got married because he got drafted and he wanted to be married before he left for the service. And I had several miscarriages because I had the RH factor. But we raised two wonderful young men that are Christian men. Have fabulous jobs, and uh, one's an educator. He's a Morton, Illinois superintendent, and he has his doctorate. So I call him Doctor Smock when I'm teasing him. And the other one works for an uh, aerospace place that builds rockets for the government in Rockford, Illinois. He is a quality control inspector. So I see their father in them both. They are wonderful young men, good Christian men. And Danny and I were married for 50 years, and he got Agent Orange from Vietnam and passed away in the hospital in 2015.
0: Wow. So sorry. hmm
1: But that's what brought us to Pekin was Dan had a job at Caterpillar before he got drafted, and they held his job.
0: Oh, nice. That's good to hear about Caterpillar. Mm-hmm.
1: And he started out as a lineman to make track shoes, and he became their first design engineer that won them five patents on his design ideas, which paid him a dollar a piece for each one. (laughs) (laughs) We built a house in 1978, and that was the biggest snowfall that had ever landed in our whole United (laughs) States. And we did everything ourselves but lay the carpet and plaster the walls. It took us a year to the day. It was 2,800 square feet main level and 1,800 lower level. And we lived there for 46 years before he bought me a house in Pekin in town because it was a country subdivision with a lake. We had four acres and he did not want me out there to take care of that by myself. So before he passed away, he bought me a house in Pekin. So I would be closer to my place of business. Of course, I didn't really like the house, but that's where he wanted me to be. And I have totally gutted it and redone it and put a new front porch on with a swing. And I put a sewing room on and I've made it my own.
0: Nice. And now you like it.
1: I love it. <laughs> Actually, realtors stop and asked me if I would sell it. It has a lot of charm and curb appeal. Oh, wow. When I moved into town, I had a room built on a 16 by 16 foot room. My husband made me promise if he lived that he would have a room to drink coffee and read his newspaper in. And so I told him that the house that he had asked me to buy. When I went in the house the first time, this feeling came over me like that's where I should be. But I really didn't like a lot about the house. And I went back and looked at it a second time and the same feeling came over me. And he said he needed to know where I was going to be if he wasn't going to be with me. And when we built our house 46 years ago, we promised each other when we made the last nail in the wall that no other person would ever share that house with another person. That we would move before we would have another mate. Well, I'll never have another mate. Once you've had the best, you would even consider. He was the most awesome man and father and husband that anybody ever could have asked for. He was just a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, for me to pick him out of a yearbook and end up marrying him and have over 50 years of marriage with him, I mean, that was just an amazing thing. So I would never spoil my memory of him by inviting someone else into my life. I am so set in my ways now by, you know, seven years of him being gone. I don't want anybody else. And I never even considered it. But it was one of those things that you end up finding yourself after you lose somebody. And it takes a long time to find yourself when you've shared your life with somebody for 50 years.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But. I am happy with who I am and I'm complete. I have five grandchildren and two wonderful daughter in laws and the most awesome sons that a woman could ever ask for. So I'm grateful for everything I have.
0: The Lord has really blessed.
1: Yes. I mean, who would have thought you see a guy's picture in a yearbook and you end up spending 50 years with him, you know? It was an interesting thing because when I got married, he was in boot camp and he wanted to get married before he went out of boot camp. So we got married and I lived with my mom and it was my senior year of high school. And all of a sudden I got a letter from the school board saying that I could not attend school because I was a married woman. And I only needed English four to graduate and I was crushed because I wanted my diploma. And I went to the school board meeting. It was all men. And they said, we can't have a married woman going to school with these girls. I said, well, sir, I'm sure that you probably don't realize this, but I said, I'm sure there's a lot of girls in this school that know more about life without marriage and doing things that they shouldn't be doing than I ever have. I said, if I'm married, what does that mean? Well, you might tell people about what you do. I said, He's in the Army. I'm not going to be doing anything but studying and trying to get my degree. I said, I don't understand this. Well, the English teacher found out about it, and her name was Mrs. Kissinger. So she came to the house, and she said, I'm willing to meet you off the school property and give you your assignment so that you can graduate with your class. And I did. I was the first married woman to graduate from that school. And I received a dozen yellow roses the day I walked up to the podium to get my diploma. And life just got better after that.
0: Wow. How long was your husband in the military?
1: He was drafted and he was shot down in Vietnam. He was a gunner on a helicopter and he was saturated with ancient orange every day. And his helicopter, well, they called it a ship. They don't call it a helicopter, but his ship crashed. The pilot was dead. And a man that was in the co-pilot seat had a broken leg. Danny carried the man for three days in the wilderness. And finally, the Air Force, Screaming Eagles, found them. And Dan put the man on the basket to take him up to the ship to save him. And then they told Dan to get in the basket, and he said, I need to go find the pilot because we don't leave anyone behind. And they said, You've been walking for three days, you don't even know how far you are from it, you're going to get us all killed. You need to get in the basket and get in there now, or we're going to leave you here. And so he got in the basket. I knew that something had happened to him because we wrote letters to each other every day, and I quit getting letters. So I called the army, and I asked them how to get a hold of my husband's commanding officer, and they told me, just write commanding officer and his address, and the commanding officer would get it. And keep in mind, I was 17 and in love, and didn't use probably the best choice of words, but I wrote to the commanding officer, and I told him, I want to know if a hair falls out of that man's head. I love him, and I want him home safe. And if you can't tell me what's going on, I'm just going to have to come over there. And when Dan was in the hospital, he said, the guy that delivered the mail said, Your old lady wrote the CO. And Dan said, Get that letter. You don't even know what she's made of. <laughs> and so the commanding officer went to his room and said, You got to be the luckiest guy I know in more than one way. And Dan says, How do you see that? He said, Well, you're alive and he said you've got the most wonderful wife that any guy could ever ask for if she wants to know if a hair falls out of your head i'm supposed to notify her and he said you believe i certainly will he was awarded the gold star silver star purple heart several medals for shooting and stuff and uh I was the luckiest woman in the world to have found that picture in his yearbook and to share my life with him. Yeah. So I'm grateful to God that he saved him and brought him home to me. And we had the most beautiful life that anybody could ever ask for. Yeah. And we didn't have money. We had love and we had respect. And uh, we had wonderful sons. So.
0: I feel blessed. Yeah, Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Well, we may have already covered this. Besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have done?
1: Well, I am an embroidery enthusiast, and a lot of my quilts I have won ribbons on at the Peoria Quilt Show. There was an appraiser from Chicago that came down to appraise quilts and some of my quilts have a price for twenty-two dollars to $2,800 each. They're very intricate embroidery. I'm told, I should say, that I have a quality of picking colors that are outstanding. And I have people come from all over to have me pick the colors to put their quilts together. I'm a people-loving person. I'm a Christian. And I believe that God guides me in directions to protect me. And I just bought a new building last year, and I've been spending a lot of time and money on it, redoing it, and I'm very proud of it. And I think my husband would just think that it was the best thing in the world a person could do. <laughs> I write him letters and tell him still what I'm doing in case he doesn't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, I am an embroidery person, and I also am a gardener. I was never a gardener before because my husband did all the flower planting and all the tree planting. And I remember he planted three dogwood trees at different times, and they all died. Well, the day that he passed away, I went to the nursery and bought a dogwood tree. And I'm happy to say that I planted it August 26, 2015. And it has blooms as big as a saucer on it. And I look up to the sky and I said, you should have let me planted one of those trees. (laughs) And I plant flowers. I spend about $500 on flowers every year in my yard because he was a flower loving person. And I do it to honor him.
0: Nice. That must be beautiful.
1: I recently bought a wheelbarrow and next year there's going to be a wheelbarrow in the yard. I add something new every year. And this year I added a light that's on a stand that you have in the house. Mm -hmm. And I took the guts out of it and I put a big bowl on the top of it and I planted flowers on the top and then I put lights in it. Oh, cool. So it's a lamp on a stand and I concreted it in. Then I put a big bowl on the top of it where the fixture would have been. And I have ivy and different things planted in it. And people stopped I've even had a bicycle stolen out of my yard because it lit up at night with the taillight and the headlight and someone stole it. Uh But you just move on and uh, think of other things to do. So I have a she shed and I'm also a tool person. When my husband passed away, I gave my three grandchildren, two girls and a boy, toolboxes and I let them go in the garage and pick anything of their grandfather's tool that they wanted to put in their toolbox so that they could have tools that his hands touched. I kept a lot of his tools because I was a tomboy. You know, I had a twin brother. And so I helped him put a engine in a 52 Chevy over a swing set frame. And we drug it that night. And I won the powder puff and he won a trophy. And when we walked in the door at home, my mother said, where's the trophy? She was in bed. We thought asleep. And I said, they're in the trunk of his car. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've been kind of a tomboy all my life. So I think it's fun to do things that aren't ordinarily what girls do.
0: Yeah. Do you think some of these hobbies show up in your quilting?
1: Oh, I know they do. I have a quilt that I'm just doing right now. It's called Sunday Ride and it's bicycles. And I haven't got it completely finished yet, but I'm going to have a class on it this fall. And it is based on rows of designs, and it's bicycles, and then there's water in the background and sky, and there's birds in the air, there's bumblebees, there's ladybugs, and there's ants on a pillow. Somebody's having a picnic on one of the rows, and I have a very, very vivid imagination, and I put that to work with my embroidery and my sewing.
0: So do you draw some of your embroidery? I do draw some of
1: my embroidery. I used to try to digitize and I found out that you can spend 45 hours on a small design and people don't want to pay you but five bucks. So I decided that I would enhance my stuff with other people's stuff. So that's basically what I do. I have a great group that comes to take classes and support me, which I'm very thankful for. I have Sisters in Christ that come all the time. Sometimes just to talk and share what might be bothering them, but they're also quilters. I got my love of sewing from my mother. She taught people to sew, and it was called the co-ed. And they did piecework, and she would go in and do the collars and then do the zippers and do this, and everybody did a certain job that made the garment complete. So I picked up a lot of good tips from her to make it look professional really easy. And then when her mother got ill, I bought her a quilting machine and we went searching for quilt tops. She quilted over a hundred quilt tops. Everybody got tired of saying, No, mom, I don't need another quilt. (laughs) (laughs) So she just died last year at 92. She was the light of my life. It was funny because she would never let us touch her machine when we were young, because that was how she made her living. Yeah. So, when I got married and Dan went into the service, I asked him if he cared if I bought a sewing machine. And he said, No, please do. So I did. And I ended up making designer jeans before they were cool. I let my boys draw what they wanted on their blue jeans, stars, and you would name it. And all the kids at school wanted to know, Will she make me a pair of designer jeans? And they said, Oh, no, that's just for us. <laughs> Little did I know that I beat the system with the designer jean part before it was even a fashionable thing, though.
0: Neat. Something I saw on your website, if you could explain a little bit more about your mother. You said she taught them to do different.
1: It was called piecework. And she would go in a couple hours before time to go to work. And she would sit and put zippers in and time it. And then she would set the price for them per zipper so that the women could make money. Then the next thing she would do, she would have collars. They did clothing for Jonathan Logan out of New York. And I'm telling you, they were fabulous garments. I was fairly young when she started that. And the gentleman that owned the place was Mr. Freud. And he was a German man. I think he was probably 10 foot tall, but really as a child, he looked that way, but I'm sure he was only about seven foot tall and great big built guy. And he had such a deep voice and he always wanted us to come in his office and we were afraid of him. So we sit there at the back door and wait for my mom to get off work when we come home from school. And she would teach how to put zippers in, how to put buttonholes. Every person had a different job that they did for that garment. And at the end of the day, they would have a completed garment. Then they would get shipped off and then they would send fabric. Oh, Jonathan Logan sent all the fabric to the co-ed for them to use with patterns and somebody cut out patterns, some press stuff. Every person had a job and every job my mom did up front so that she could make sure that they made money so that they could make a living. It was just an interesting thing. So she gave me hints and techniques that she used that never have been written in a book that I now teach the girls that come here to sew.
0: That is so neat. Are you going to put it in a book someday?
1: I write poetry and I've thought about writing. I did write a technique book, which was kind of interesting when I was machine knitting I would knit yardage, and I made the neatest slacks and tops that matched. And ICC College contacted me one day because I had a how-to book. I considered a pamphlet. It was only eight pages, but they called it a book. And they contacted me and wanted to know if I would come to ICC College and teach a day in writing, is what they called it. And I said, well, sir, I said, I'm not qualified to do that. And he says, I have your book here. He said, you are qualified. I said, then I'm always up for a challenge. I would love to try it. Well, it just so happened that I had to make up uh, pages and I had to tell them what I wanted them to describe to me from start to finish a simple job. One was mowing grass. One was washing dishes. And one was tying your shoes. Everything was a step-by-step. You couldn't leave anything out. The person reading what they were telling them to do had to be able to complete the task completely and without leaving out anything. Well, it just so happened that word got out that I was probably the most fun person there. I had standing room only and some of the other teachers had no one in their class and they weren't very happy with me because I was not a qualified teacher. But you know, when you know how to, start something and finish it, that's considered the job. I got a standing ovation at the end of the day, and they said that I was the most interesting teacher they had ever had. <laughs> so I took that as a real compliment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Have fun. So, mm-hmm. well, was it your mother that introduced you to quilting?
1: Yes, it was. She hand quilted. She actually crocheted as well, which she taught me to crochet. So I knitted and I crocheted. I still couldn't do that, but I broke both my wrists last year. I fell and broke them both. And so I'm just now getting back to being able to crochet and knit. It does something horrible to your hands, and I had to have surgery four times. But she did a poppy quilt. It was great big red poppies on a white background. And she basically hand appliqued the whole quilt. And she gave it to my brother's wife, unquilted, just the top. And uh, she promised to get it quilted. Well, they ended up using it as a blanket at the park and didn't get it quilted and almost ruined it. And when mother found out that Wanda had not done the quilt properly, she got it back and she gave it to me. And I quilted it and gave it back to her as a gift.
0: Nice. What's your favorite quilt?
1: My favorite quilt is the one that I just hung on the wall today to take a picture of. I found a piece of fabric that had embroidery work already on it. It's big pink flowers and it's in rows. And I used that pink that had the embroidery work already on it to pick the colors out for my flowers and my leaves. And it's a quilt from Jenny Haskins. She was an excellent embroidery person. She's from overseas, and I've made several of her quilts. I taught machine embroidery at a quilt shop in Pekin, Illinois for 12 years. Like I said before, I put quilts in the quilt show. Well, I was basically asked not to bring any more quilts because I was taking all the ribbons and people were very upset about it. So I went home crying, and my husband said, Jude you don't need anybody to tell you that you make beautiful quilts just don't go back I said okay (laughs) so I didn't I have never gone back but you know every quilt that you make you love Mm -hmm. and I just recently just sold my very first quilt that I made it's the preacher's wife wanted it in the worst way And she came and she said, Oh, I love hearts. And I love that quilt. Would you sell it? And I said, I really don't sell my quilts. The time and effort and everything that goes into them is so expensive that people just won't pay for it. She said, Well, what would you sell it to me? And so I finally gave her a price. And her husband came into the shop, the preacher, and he said, What makes you think this quilt is worth that much money? And Trying real hard not to be disrespectful, I just walked to the door and said, It appraised for $2,200. I have a professional appraiser. I have paperwork on it if you'd like to see it. And he said, Well, I didn't know that a quilt would ever sell for that much. Well, I said, If you aren't interested in buying that, I said, I really am interested in keeping it. Well, he ended up buying it for his wife because she wanted it. But people don't understand how much time, effort, Hours on a machine, tread, it's all very expensive. And if you paid yourself only $5 an hour, the quilt might take three months to make. So people don't understand the quality and quantity of time that goes into making a
0: beautiful quilt. Mm-hmm. Well, you're working on your quilts, is there a favorite tool that you are so happy you have?
1: Well, it's always a seam ripper. Mm-hmm you can sew and sew and sew, and then you sometimes have to unsew. So a quality seam is probably your best friend. Everybody makes mistakes, and mistakes is what I call an adventure in learning. If you don't make mistakes, you don't really learn anything new. And you can make a mistake in a quilt, and maybe you're the only one that sees it. Now, my mother used to say, well, if you can't see it on a galloping horse, it doesn't matter. Well, to me, it does matter because I know that that mistake is in there. So I don't usually follow her advice on that. But a new quilter, I do allow them to think that that's okay when they're starting out because quilting is very precise. You have to match points. And I just ran into my very first quilt that I made 25 years ago. I pieced it. And it's the railroad quilt. And I cut my outside border too close and I cut my points off. I didn't know exactly how important points are when you're quilting a quilt. And everybody that's a quilter, believe me, they look at your points. So if they don't match, "Mm, she should have taken that out. You know, (laughs) that's the whispering behind your back. And then I say, well, my mother said, if you can't see it from a galloping horse, it doesn't matter. They don't approve. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't have fun in what you're doing and love what you're doing, is it really worthwhile? When I first opened my first shop, my first motto, I embroidered something and it says, I just want to make beautiful things, even if no one cares. Hmm. And I truly still believe that. And I still make beautiful things, but now I care. (laughs) So you always grow. Yeah. You know, and what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Is there a particular part of the quilting process you like more than others, or do you like each step?
1: Well, each step leads to the completion. And a completed anything is always a treasure. One of my favorite things that most people dread is I love to bind a quilt. I hand bind my quilts.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I have taught so many people how to make the most beautiful points on the corners of their quilt in the most easiest, oh, it's just such an easy thing to teach, but people don't teach it for some reason. I had a girl that, it's kind of an interesting story, she took machine knitting classes from me in 1978. And two years ago, she walks in my shop, she has on a mask and she has on sunglasses. And she said, do you know who I am? (laughs) And I said, do I get a hint? And she said, you taught me machine knitting in 1978. I said, you're Carol Johnson. You lived in Dixon. You moved to Beardstown. And then I lost you. She takes her sunglasses off. She says, I can't believe that you know me. And I said, when you meet someone you love, you never forget them. They're always in your heart somewhere. And I said, I've never forgotten you. Well, she's probably one of my best customers to this day. Another new friend in Christ. I took care of an older lady and she said to me once, let's go rubber around. And I had never heard that expression. And that means just go to the store and look around. You don't even have to buy anything. You just look around, but they always called it rubber and around. And I don't know why. So I told, called her one day, and I said, "Let's go rubber around." And she said, "What does that mean?" And I said, "We're going to go to thrift shops and see what we can do." I make pin cushions out of beautiful glass dishes, picture frames, all kinds of things, and give them as gifts. And so I like to, so-called, rubber around to see if there's anything that I can form a pin cushion and put in. So it's just one of those things that inspire you. You know, sometimes you even laugh about it, you know, because it's funny. Mm-hmm. I bought a pig the other day and I tied a bow around her neck. I'm putting really expensive pins in her and I'm calling her the pincushion. And I'm having a contest after I get back from my vacation. You name the pig. I have picked a name for the pig. You guess the name of the pig and you get a 15% off discount of whatever you buy. <laughs> And then I bought a big ant and I tied a big bow around her head. And then I bought three little black ants that are all metal. And when I get back from my vacation, I'm hiding them in sight through the shop and underneath their belly, it will say the discount they get for their purchase of one item purchase. And on the bow on the mother ant is I can't find my babies. Please help me and win a prize. And they're going to be in plain sight, but I have found some places to put them that they're very hard to distinguish where they are. So we're going to have a contest. I painted a four by eight foot sheet of plywood and I had everybody come in and pay $5 to paint a cool square. A gentleman is topping it with that clear hard stuff because it's going to be hanging on the outside of my building. And it's going to be a ceremony called the Hanging of the Quilt. And I'm in hopes that one of the channels from Peoria will come and video the Hanging of the Quilt. I have a concrete wall that's 20 feet long and 8 feet wide. And I had my granddaughter come and paint sewing notions all over that wall. And I gave her tiny little pictures. And she's an artist. She's won contests galore. And she sat on the ground and she painted, one of them says, 600 bolts of fabric. Well, now it's 1,600. <laughs> one of them is just scissors, pin cushions, rotary cutters, scissors, seam rippers, all kinds of sewing notions is on that wall. People that go by see that and they turn around and come back. I didn't know it was a quilt cool shop. So you've got to figure out when you don't have money for advertising how to get people in your shop. <laughs> And I'm very
0: creative. (laughs) Those are great ideas and sound like a lot of fun. Share with me about your worst quilting experience.
1: My worst quilting experience was when a child came in the shop with a snow cone. And I asked her mother to please take the snow cone away from the child. It was, I think, cherry. And the girl tripped, and the snow cone went flying and landed on my quilt square that I was working on. And red does not come out of anything. So that was probably the worst experience I've had, which I consider myself very lucky that that was the worst one.
0: Yeah. yeah, people don't realize how much time we put into those squares, do they?
1: No, they don't have. And you know, fabric has gotten so expensive. I'm still, the most reasonable fabric i sell my fabric for 11 dollars a yard and it's quality very very high quality fabric most places that i go around to look at other people's stuff is anywhere from 12.95 to 14.95 a yard i think that you can make a little bit of money on a lot of things and do okay you don't need to make all your money on one item and that's just my theory
0: yeah Why do you think you continue to make quilts instead of doing something else?
1: I am doing something else. I am making towels. I'm making table runners. In fact, when I come back from vacation, we're going to do a beautiful fall table runner that I'm going to make kits for. We do potholders. We do embroidery in the hoop designs. We are learning to quilt in the hoop, to quilt our own designs. Little did I know I might be cutting myself short on my long-arm quilting, but it's another technique that you have to give people the right to learn to do and actually start to finish an item yourself. And if they can learn to quilt their quilt in their machine, I think that's a wonderful thing. Knowledge is everything, and I share everything I know. If I don't know something and someone comes in and asks me about it, I figure out how to look it up. I find it and I call them back and I said, I know how to do it. Come in and I'll give you a free little example of how to do it. And maybe we can make something together. And that's how you make new friends. That's how you make new customers.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You never have enough customers.
0: (laughs) Who do you usually make your quilts for?
1: Right now, I mostly make my quilts to teach people and get them involved in making a quilt for themselves. I have stopped making elaborate quilts and have gone more to the quilts that you would actually use. You can only have so many beautiful quilts that you don't want to do anything with but look at. You know, Mine are hanging all over my walls here at the shop. And as much as I love them, and I did teach classes with them, Right now, I'm working on. I bought linen, and I'm making a bedspread for my bed. I have fabric that I use for the valances for my shower, my bathroom window, and my bedroom window, and it's gray linen. It's all kinds of beautiful, beautiful flowers that I have embroidered, and they're applique. And some are pink and blue and gray, and they blend with the fabric that's on my curtains that are on the windows. So right now, that's what I'm working on, something that I will actually put on my bed and use.
0: Nice. Share a quilting tip you'd love to tell.
1: When you're picking out fabric of something that you want to make, really make it the colors and the fabric that you love. Because when you get started on something and you don't love it, you won't finish it. And there are stacks and stacks of people's houses of stuff that they will never finish. And I have an eye for color. And I have people come all over the place and want me to pick their colors for their quilts. And I sell lots and lots of blenders. And blenders are fabrics that are a little bit of a background, but maybe a little line in it or a little flower or something that would go with a bigger print or a solid To put a quilt together, you need more than one kind of fabric. You don't want the same fabric for the whole quilt. I just recently bought a woman's whole quilt room. She passed away and her husband contacted me. And I went in and I bought everything the woman had. And he was so blessed by that because he knew nothing about what things cost. He knew nothing about how to contact anyone. And right now, I'm repurposing and reselling and keeping some of it and offering some really beautiful machines that she had, one she only used twice at a very low price so that people can learn to sew and learn to enjoy. You start something, and most generally, if you pick the colors and the things that you want, you can't wait to finish it Mm -hmm. and show it off. I would like to start a quilt club where people come. I am starting a class. This is going to be on a Wednesday, and it's going to be twice a month. The name of the club is where girlfriends meet. And And I'm letting people come in and pay $10 for the day. I have seven spots that people can sit and sew at. You can bring your work and work on it, or you can bring a technique or something that you need help with, and I only charge you $5 for your help, and you pay $10 for bringing your machine in. And I have a dining room table. I have a great big refrigerator and you can bring your lunch or you can order out or you can not even eat. Some people don't even eat. So I make you feel like you're at home in my home.
0: That flows right with, I loved on your website, you have written the shop where quilters become long lasting friends. Exactly.
1: And, you know, you cannot be a Christian and not try to be a witness to God in every form of life that you have. When people come and we have lunch, we pray. People come in a lot of times with problems or issues or health issues, we pray. The most powerful thing in the world right now and the most needed thing in the world right now is prayer. If you ask, you shall receive. And the Lord means every word of that. And prayer is free. It doesn't cost you anything, but it gives you a reward that's unbeatable. And I want Christian women to feel like they can be their Christian self. So many people nowadays are afraid to even be Christian-like because we're made fun of and we're, oh, yeah, that's all phony. You know, if you really believe that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, No. The sad part of not being a Christian is at the end of the world, when it all comes, they're going to find out how important it would have been if they'd have been a Christian. So I truly believe that the Lord takes care of me here. He guides me and he brings me Christian women and I have new friends all the time. Yeah. And thank God they buy stuff. You know, that's what keeps me going, you know. I have to have new friends because, you know, all my friends can't buy everything I have. So I need new people with money, you know, to come (laughs) in and share the love of quilting and sewing and embroidery. And and we just do some wonderful things here. Like I said, we painted a board and I'm going to draw a name and three people are going to win money after the board's got a seal on it. We're going to hang it on the wall outside and then I'm going to draw names and three people are going to get gift certificates. When they painted a block, if they painted 10 blocks, their name is in the thing 10 times. And it was just a really, really fun thing to do. I had a friend of mine draw just with regular lead, the patterns on, and then everybody came in and painted a block. So it's those kind of things that pull you together for the love of quilting and for the love of being a friend and sharing a time together. Yeah. I love what I do. I think it shows.
0: Yeah, it does. Did you have quilting as a hobby first or did it go right into being a business?
1: Basically, what got me started in a business is I walked into a shop that was being put together by Debbie Henniger. She had a shop in Metamora and she was opening a shop in Pekin. And I walked in and I said, I would like, to help you put your store together I will come in every day and help you for free and I'm looking for a teaching job and I said I do sewing and embroidery and quilting and I said I would like to be part of your place and she said oh if you're going to be helping me for free she said that's perfect and then I took my mother cuz I had a couple of days that I was spending with my mother and my mother went in and we all put books away and put notions away And we just had the best time. And my mom got out of the house and she enjoyed it so much. And I ended up selling machines for her. And I sold a lot of machines for her. I had classes for her three times a week. I quit traveling all over the other places and I was just there for her. And then she decided to sell the shop in Pekin and opened a shop in Peoria And she wanted me to travel to Peoria. It's actually on the other side of Peoria, at the end of Peoria. She wanted me to travel over there and teach. And I know so much about women because I am one. And when someone goes into a business and there's always a leader and there's always the followers and their leaders had already been picked. And I know well enough that, You're not going to go into a place and try to take over someone else's position. That never works. It's always a bad thing. And I told her that I could not travel there and that I would not try to take someone's job that was already there. Her comment to me was, but they don't know how to sell a machine. And that was her big thing. You know, selling a machine was a lot of money. And she took trade in. So she did a really good job of moving her equipment around and getting people involved and getting them in and then a new customer, you know, that's always good. And I said, Debbie, I said, I just can't do it. I said, I'm sorry. But I says, first of all, Dan does not want me traveling to Peoria in the wintertime. And I said, secondly, there's a pecking order when you go into a place. And those women have already established what they do and how they do it in that store. And I will not go in there and try to show them how to do something new or try to take their place. I'm sorry, but I just can't do it. So I went and found a little shop and opened my own place. She didn't speak to me for a long time. And then she realized that they weren't selling machines over there. So she contacted me and wanted to know, could she put some machines in my little shop? And could I sell them for her? And I said, I would. And she brought three machines over and I sold them before the end of the week. And so we did business like that for a while. And then she ended up selling the shop in Peoria and she moved to Tennessee and built a new home and stuff. So I always swear I made the right choice in not, you know, not moving and trying to take a job away from somebody that already had the job. I don't care if they didn't do a good job at it or not, it was their position, it was given to them. And that's a learning experience for them. And I had no business going over there trying to do anything.
0: So you opened your shop in Pekin. You already had your business name. I did. Like I mentioned earlier, I knew your name was Judy and I saw just Jude's. I thought maybe you were saying just Judy's creations with an E instead of a Y, but this was Jude's. So explain that to me.
1: Well, from the day I met Dan, my name was Jude. He never called me Judy unless I did something wrong. It was like your mother, Judy K., you know. It was a, hey, Jude, hey, Jude, hey, Jude, you know. And that's right when the Beatles song out, hey, Jude, you know. So I got sick of hearing it. But I told you I went into business with three other women for machine knitting. And when we were laying in bed that night talking and he says, I can't believe that you're sharing all the money that you're making with three of the women that aren't doing anything. I think you need to go on your own. So that's where the just came from. I decided that I could not have a partner. I decided that our name that we had, the four of us, was Creative Knitters. I decided that just Jude's creations made me available and add anything I wanted to to my business without changing my name. So at least I had the foresight of knowing just Jude meant I'm never going to have a partner and that I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And it will fit into my realm of what I want to do by just saying just Jude's creations. That means I'm a creative person and I can create anything I want.
0: Yeah. And when did you open that shop in Pekin?
1: I opened it September 17th. In 2012, it was not a good thing. I rented from my insurance lady, and then there was an empty spot right beside me. And she moved those people that smoked those vapor cigarettes, and they were beside me. And we had a hallway between us. And they never shut their door. And I was overwhelmed with the vapors of that stuff. And a lot of the women that came to take classes from me were elderly women you know, they had breathing problems. Some of them had asthma and they quit coming because they couldn't stand the smell. And I asked her to do something about it. And she informed me that they paid more money for rent than I did. And that I would just have to tough it out. Well, (laughs) I didn't tough it out. I went and bought my own building and I redid it, put new windows, new roof, new furnace, a new front end, all kinds of stuff. And I realized soon after I moved in there that I was almost in a place that was more like uh, homes and stuff and a business. So people weren't finding me. Then I think I told you that people moved beside me that gave me all kinds of problems. And so I ended up that I decided I was going to look for another place. And I said a prayer that God would find me a safe place. And I went down the street to go home. And I turned on a street that I never went down and there was a building for sale. And I pulled in and I called a realtor and uh, she said, well, she was in Morton, Illinois. And I said, I'll wait. She came, she opened up the door and I looked at the place and she gave me the price that they were asking. And I said, well, I'd like to make an offer on half of that amount. And only if it is checked by someone that would professionally inspect it. I would like to buy it for this amount of money. And she said, oh, well, I'll turn it into them. And I went home and I prayed that God would intervene, that I needed a safe place to be. And the next morning they contacted me and they asked for $1,000 more than what I had offered. And I bought the place, paid cash for it and moved in. I had about $5,500 worth of carpeting because it's 2,800 square feet here. And the day that the guy finished laying the carpet, I hired a army vet that was unemployed and he got four guys and we moved 500 boxes into this shop. And we've been here ever since and we're happy as we can be.
0: Well, I noticed you opened that new shop in 2020. Is that correct? It is correct. And that's about when? things started COVID. hitting with covid how did that affect you
1: well i put a note on the front door that i would hand deliver something outside to anyone that did not want to come in and if they did want to come in that they had to wear a mask i still have that note on my door i've only had one problem once when i asked a person if they didn't have a mask and i said have you been vaccinated and she frankly told me it was none of my business And I said, Well, if you can't share that with me, then I can't share my shop with you. I said, It's a dangerous thing that we're involved in now. And I said, If I give you a mask, would you wear it? And she said, No. But she did eventually put the mask on to stay, and she was probably one of my best customers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, when you own a place, you have to make rules and you have to stand behind them. I'm not one to eliminate something for the favor of someone else. I think that you live by your own rules. And if people can't live by the rules you set for yourself, then it's just not acceptable that they try to change my rules. So I try to bend over backwards to be helpful to anybody that comes in but I won't change my rules.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I give a lot of fabric away. I have an elderly lady From my church, she makes Walker covers for people in the nursing home for free. And I donate fabric to her constantly so that she can continue her thing. She's 90 and she's a lovely lady and she's a giver. I like to surround myself with givers, not takers. Yeah. And there's another lady that if I come across wool or minky or fleece or any of that stuff, I call her and I just end up giving her five black garbage bags full of fabric. And she makes little Kleenex covers and goes to the nursing homes and passes them out. And she also makes beds. We have a TAPS in Pekin that is a no-kill dog thing. And she makes beds for the dogs to sleep on from the scraps. So I try to donate and to give and give back to my community. I think that there's always joy in giving. There's not much in taking.
0: Yeah. Now, you said you had some classes. Can you remember, because this might go back even to when you were doing a class for the other lady, but do you remember how you felt when someone signed up for the class?
1: I had classes at Cotton Stitches. That was a quilting shop that I told you I worked at and taught classes. I had anywhere from eight to 12 people per class twice a day for four days a week. I charged $20 for the day. They have to buy their pattern from the shop owner. Now I'm the shop owner, but when Debbie was a shop owner, I always went through her to make sure that they bought the pattern. And I remember there was a great big quilt that I wanted to make so bad and it looked really difficult. And I thought, you know, if I study this, I think I can do this. And so I ordered one of the patterns and it was $100 just for the pattern. And I started on the quilt and we only had an inverter machine that had an eight by 10 hoop, which is very small. And the quilt, each square was 20 inches big. So you had to keep rehooping in order to add to the squares. And I got four or five squares done. And I sewed them together and I put them on a bulletin board in the room. And I says, who would like to sign up for this class? I had 10 people sign up. And I called Debbie and I said, I need you to order 10 of those patterns. And she said, those are a hundred dollars each. And I says, I know, but your cost is 50. So I said, I'll charge them a hundred dollars, but would you order me 10? And she says, I don't think you're going to get 10 people. I said, I already have 10 people signed up." I said, if you don't sell the patterns, I'll buy them. Okay, she said, I'll do that. So she did it. 11 people ended up signing up, and 10 people finished their quilt, and one lady made four. I've made three, and another lady made two. And it was a company from Australia. And I sent her pictures of the girls' quilts, and she put me in her newsletter of a person that taught 10 people in one class how to make the rose quilt. So I was popular in Australia for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I proved to Debbie that 10 people took the class and 10 people finished the quilts. I know one lady just made
0: four of them. Well, paying that much for a pattern, you have to use it more than once, right?
1: Yeah, well, you stick with it too. You know, you don't give up, so... But it was applique, which, you know, you lay fabric down, sew around, trim around the fabric, and then you do your finishing embroidery work on it. It was an amazing class. We had to move into a bigger room because it was 10 of them with 10 machines and two ironing boards. It was a lot of fun and we all became really close friends.
0: Yeah, Judy, was there anything else you wanted to share with me before you tell me where we can find your business?
1: Basically, if you want to learn to sew, please let me know. I have machines here that I donate to sewers that don't have a machine. I, in fact, had five little nine-year-olds, and I gave them all a machine. They sewed for a while, and then they lost interest. You know, children, you have to keep them constantly involved in order to keep their attention. They were homeschooled. And they sewed for a while and then they quit sewing. But the COVID made the big difference in them quitting to sew because they did not want to get vaccinated. They did not want to wear a mask. And I basically had to finally just close that. But um, I know there's people out there that maybe have a sewing machine in a closet somewhere. It doesn't have to be a new sewing machine. It doesn't have to be an expensive sewing machine. And if you don't know how to use it, bring it in and I will teach you how to use it. Everybody needs to learn to do something that they enjoy for themselves. It's really great, great to see yourself make something this beautiful. I just had a young lady that when I put on my Facebook page where girlfriends meet, she contacted me and she said, I have a machine in a box that's been sitting in here for three years and I've never opened it and I don't know how to use it. She's been coming in and she's made two baby quilts. It's such a wonderful thing to see yourself make something that's beautiful. And it isn't beautiful to everybody, but it's beautiful to you. Yeah. And that's self-fulfillment. And self-fulfillment goes a long way in this day and age because we have so little to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Our world's a mess, but we need to consider making something beautiful to help ourselves be happy.
0: Well, thank you so much, Judy. And where can we find your business?
1: I'm at 819 Derby Street across from Spencer and Snell Jewelry Store in Pekin, Illinois. My phone numbers are on my Facebook page and on my website, which you're going to put on. I love meeting new people and I love helping and I love teaching and I hope to touch some new people's lives.
0: I hope everyone goes to your episode page to find this information. But just in case someone's listening and can't get onto the website, can you tell them your website address? It's justjutescreation.com. Great. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. A pleasure meeting you.
0: It was great to have you on.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.